to Space Flicks, the podcast where we pick a movie to send to an astronaut hurtling through space. Uh, so this week on Space Flicks, we'll be talking about the latest installment in the Mission Impossible franchise, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, starring Tom Cruise, directed by Christopher McQuarrie, and um, featuring, as always, a host of death-defying stunts performed uh, very publicly <laughs> by Tom Cruise. So, um, as always, uh, we will go through the exercise of uh, setting up the movie. And so, Dan, do you want to get us started off with some uh, table setting as far as what this movie is and um, what it's about? Sure. So, uh, this is the sixth Mission Impossible movie. Um, it is unique because up until now, every installment of the Mission Impossible franchise has been uh, helmed by a different director. The first one was Brian De Palma. Mm. Back in, do you remember the year 95? Six. 96? I think. Yeah, because it's been... Oh my gosh. It's been over 20 years then. Mm-hmm. Um, which is crazy to think about. But yeah, the first one was Brian De Palma. The second one, which I have not seen. Have you seen I it? have seen it. The second one was John Woo. Yes. The third one was that J.J. Movie Abrams. is trash. Yeah, I've heard it's not very good. Although many people... I've I heard, think I think it's pretty universally considered like not good as the, a movie, like the worst one. But a lot of people like it almost like a guilty pleasure. I I remember even in the moment thinking that I did not like it at all. I think you're I think you're not a big guilty pleasure person when it comes to movies. Um, I just like things, and I'm not I don't feel guilty about it. Yeah, I just I just think. There are some movies that I think are bad movies, but I like them. Do mm-hmm. you do you have any bad movies that you like? No, because the movies I like are good. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, think, I think for you, it's more. There's more of a strong kind of correlation. But anyway, I, second I would, one was John. Wood. I'd be. I would happily list a bunch of movies that I like, and then somebody would say, "Well, most people think that movie's bad." I'd be like, "Yeah, those people are wrong." Yeah. So a guilty pleasure, something that you have to think is bad, but you still like. So you don't. I think you don't do that. Not Maybe that I, do. I don't know. Someday we'll I'm find I'm sure that. we'll find an example yeah. at some point. But uh, third one was J.J. Abrams. Fourth one was Brad Bird. Fifth one was Christopher McQuarrie. It was our man McQuarrie. Yeah, and so this one is unique in that it's the first, um, the first installment in the franchise that is uh, directed, written and directed by the same person as the last one. So Christopher McQuarrie wrote and direct, directed this one yeah. as well. It's also unique because they have, by and large, been standalone kind of one-off stories up until now. Much like I would compare it yes. to the James Bond sort yes. of model, where every James Bond movie is just its own has its own beginning, middle, and end, very loosely connected to any other movies. Yeah, I mean, in fact, I would say that James Bond sort of feels like it jumps the rails. Um, I think around the conne- the connective tissue after Quantum of Solace, where that woman drowns, mm-hmm. right? Like I think the next movie, it's like Bond is dealing with the death of his love interest, and I think as a moviegoer, it's very jarring, mm. right? You're like, why is he like all upset and stuff? <laughs> why is he affected by anything that happened before the opening credits? And so yeah. I think we are just, I think the Mission Impossible movies are sort of the same. We're sort of accustomed to sort of this idea that 
none of this matters, right? The next movie will be the next movie. Yeah, the next movie will be Ethan Hunt awakening from his chamber where he's been in cryogenic sleep. Uh-huh. For know, four years, yeah. Like, figuratively speaking, since the last movie. Like, nothing in his life has right. happened. Which is, just been they could just film that at Tom Cruise's house, because he totally sleeps in a cryogenic chamber. Probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this one is unique, because it's um, it's much more connected to the last movie than any previous movie. It's actually weirdly connected to a number of the movies. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, for sure. This movie's kind of, I almost think, like... Uh, the first five. This is a sequel to the first five Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, right. That's right. That's like a great way to put it. View them as a unit, and this is the this is the sequel to that. Yep. Um, which is which is kind of cool. But anyway, so that's the table setting. So um, walk coming into this, I would say because we because we like to talk about sort of what what our expectations were coming mm-hmm. in. Yep. I really liked the last one. I don't think it was my favorite one, um, but I, I don't think I've seen any of them more than once, so it's kind of hard to to rank them for me. But I think the last one was in the top echelon for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like I would sort of say the original Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation were all kind of in that... I mean, really, I'm only omitting two at that point. <laughs> but they were all really good in my head. Yeah, um, to me, the first is in a tier by itself, and then those two are, okay. I think, quite good. Okay, um, but yeah, I think, I think, I think of three is sort of a transitional one. It's sort of like transitioning from the first two, which were vastly different from each other, mm-hmm. into sort of a new, a new kind of feel, and then four and five were sort of. Like the new Mission Impossible franchise, mm-hmm. you know, which Tom Cruise has been in all along, but it's almost like it rebooted, right? Yeah, and sort of became I, a new, a new sort of feel of a franchise. I had viewed Mission Impossible Three, which is the one featuring Philip Seymour Hoffman as a very, very compelling villain, mm-hmm. with Michelle Monaghan as Ethan Hunt's uh, playing Ethan Hunt's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I had viewed the entire thing as almost a Super Mario Brothers 2 kind of experience where it's like, this is totally outside of right. everything else, and we're just going to almost forget that this movie happened. Not that it was a bad movie, right? But it just sort of created all these stakes and um, emotional connections that Ethan Hunt has to specific humans in his life that it's like, yeah, we're just going to pretend that this didn't happen right um well are you also i don't know if this if you intended this as well but some people might not realize that super mario 2 was not originally a mario game yes i Um, I do know that and is that what you meant as well sort of um that 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 is not the reference that i'm making but that is but i could um, see that i could see that um sort of viewing of, of Mission Impossible 3 that it's almost like a movie that was made not to be a Mission Impossible movie. It was just an action movie. Right. You know? That at one point they were like, hey, you know what? Tom Cruise is in this. <laughs> <laughs> we could just say his name is Ethan Hunt and uh, yeah. slap Mission Impossible on yeah. Or it's like, this movie was going to star, uh, you know, Bruce Willis. Right. Right? But we could get... He dropped out and we could get Tom Cruise. If we just... Change the script a little bit. We yeah, can make some references to IMF. And that's exactly what Ocean's Twelve is. 
Oh, really? Yeah, Ocean's 12 is that. I didn't know they, that. they had a script for an entirely different heist movie. Wow. And then it was like, oh, well, if we do a little bit of rejiggering, this could just be an Ocean's movie. <laughs> is right? that is that the one with Julia Roberts, like, pr- playing? I think that's 13. Oh, okay. okay. I think that's 13, if well, I recall. In any case, we're going way off the rails here. Uh, yeah. so as, as far as expectations, Rogue Nation I liked a lot. Um, so I was pretty pretty jazzed for this one. I was like Christopher McQuarrie, you know. I also liked. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Jack Reacher. But, I've not. Um, but it's actually pretty good. Uh, really? The first one. I didn't see the second one. I heard the second one's not good. I've only heard like middling lukewarm water things well, about Jack Reacher. You should, uh, you should check your sources because no, Jack Reacher I think was pretty solid. All right. Um, so, you know, those are the only two things I'm aware of that he's done. But I I was looking forward to this. I didn't like, I wasn't aware of much like behind the scenes information about it. Um, mm-hmm. I did hear that Tom Cruise broke his ankle. Yes. But doesn't he like break something for all of these movies? I mean, it sort of seems like that always happens. He injures himself somehow because he's always doing these crazy stunts. It feels like PR, right? Um, yeah, it's almost like, yeah, it's almost like... He has to break something so that they can write about it. Look, he, um, he risked so much. So I was, so yeah, I was definitely looking forward to it. Um, and I was expecting it to be solid and probably about on par with Rogue Nation. That was my expectation. What about you? Yeah, I think um, in some ways I sort of expected uh, this to be Mission Impossible's uh, Skyfall. Right, um, meaning because Skyfall is considered very good. Right, exactly. I sort of I was like, oh, this is going to take it up a notch, right? Mm-hmm. This is going to take it from the sort of frivolity of Casino Royale, right, mm-hmm. which is a really good movie and fun, mm-hmm. right? But there's not a lot of you're not amazed by that movie so much as you're just entertained by it. And I thought this was going to be like something about like. There's a helicopter chase, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just seeing some of the stunt work in the trailers and it's sort of the tenor of the reviews, right? Oh, yeah. The reviews were rapturous for this movie. Were, and so I something about it was like, oh, this is going to be a little bit of a step up mm-hmm. from the prior movies. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and in some ways, I also expected that in the sense of I expected a more serious movie. Yeah. Right. Because um, I think out. Casino Royale. Right. In some ways, like the idea, like even the idea of Fallout. Right. Think back to Skyfall. Right, where James Bond watches like MI six get blown up or whatever, and Javier Bardem is has some vengeance on the brain. Mm-hmm. Right. About how he's been wronged. I sort of felt the same thing about the villain and. Mm. Uh, fallout is like oh he's gonna bomb some you know like the name of the movie is fallout so i'm like oh there's gonna be an explosion or something and there's gonna be some sort of repercussions afterward and this is like dealing with quite literally the fallout of something bad happening so can i get into the movie can i get into like something that happens in the movie early sure right so for example when the movie's like nuclear bomb 
explodes in three different places, three different nuclear bombs explode in three different places, I was like, holy cow, this movie just blew up three nuclear bombs. Yeah, yeah, right? I agree. Like, I kind of believed it, right? I did too. I sort of forgot what kind of movie we were watching. <laughs> I was like, this movie is serious. It blew up three holy sites in this movie. Like, yep. what, what post-apocalyptic yeah. world is this movie taking place in, right? And then as it progressed, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> They're fooling this guy. Yeah, the ending of that scene, um, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but just real quick, the end of that scene was kind of a like this reassuring. It was yeah. almost like it was almost like um, I thought the movie was going darker. Yeah, which is just I think I don't know. The past decade has been movies sequels. Uh, always want to be darker than their mm-hmm. predecessor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems like a trend. And so I just sort of thought this was kind of like that. It was like, oh, this is another one of those. The latest installment is, is darker and goes to more grim places than any previous one. And, right. okay, that's what we're doing. And then when, you know, the walls come down and the mask comes off and they're like, did we get it? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, All right, yeah, no, yeah. they're not going to let something like that happen. This is a Mission Impossible I mean, movie. doesn't Tom Cruise literally say at the end of the scene, like, it's not over, it's over when we say it's over kind of thing? I think. Doesn't he say like something that. like that? And so that is sort of the false confidence, right? The unearned confidence of... Uh, Tom Cruise, right, mm-hmm. and and but which you which I like, right? It's sort of nice to feel in the context in the confines of this two and a half hour movie that it's like ah Tom Cruise is going to take care of us for two and a half hours, right? Yeah. He's going to put himself in ridiculous risk yeah. at ridiculous yeah. risk so that we don't have to we don't have to contemplate a world with three nuclear bombs going off at holy sites around the globe, right? right. Uh, so speaking of the power of Tom Cruise, uh, how, how did this thing do at the box office? What was it expected to do? Do you have any idea? You want to take a guess? I'm going to guess. Oh, I think I saw the headline, so I might be... Ah, you're cheating. I think, uh, it's funny. I actually think it did probably better than I imagined it would, because I'm thinking back to before we saw it, what did I expect this movie to I sort of ex. I'm sort of conditioned at this point to think that Tom Cruise movies are going to underperform, mm-hmm. right? Um, whether it's Edge of Tomorrow or the Mummy, the Mummy, or and Edge of Tomorrow is a very good movie, right? Oh, yeah. um, I just sort of feel like the world is passing Tom Cruise by, right, mm-hmm. and sort of just. It doesn't need him anymore, and he doesn't know it. Well, he's a movie star in a world that's moved on from movie stars. Right. And so I sort of almost wincingly expected this to do, you know, like, oh, it's going to do like $65 million in the opening weekend, and it'll Mm -hmm. peter out, and it'll be fine, but not like a huge hit, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So that was my expectation but then I saw the movie, mm-hmm. and I was like, this dude crashed a helicopter into another <laughs> helicopter. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So how did it do? Do you know? Well, your initial estimate that uh, 
you thought of as being somewhat pessimistic would have actually been pretty optimistic. So this movie did, I think, $61 million? Okay. But, but that's actually quite good. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. For this franchise. Um, In my head, it needed to make like $100 million, but... No, I don't... The Mission Impossible franchise has never been at that level. Okay. Um, I mean, really, almost no movies do like that. What is so? What We've, did like Infinity War do in the opening weekend? Well, Infinity War had the biggest opening weekend. But what did time. it do? Just to set my context, like two fifty, two hundred fifty. Oh, so but a hundred, so a hundred's not attainable by not most really. other movies. Okay. No, no. So so really, so the only movies that do that kind of business are mm-hmm. basically Star Wars, Marvel, Jurassic World. Those mm-hmm. are the only ones that do that anymore. Okay. Um, so yeah. So so nothing hits. One so like so like, X Men for example. I think like one X Men movie has maybe opened that big before. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they generally don't 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 do those big that big of a of an opening like. James Bond doesn't do that. Star Trek doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Fast and Furious might do that too. Okay. But you know, it's a vi- like Transformers doesn't even do that anymore. Yeah. So so breaking even a hundred million opening weekend is is quite rare. Okay. Um. So yeah, and and I think also the Mission Impossible franchise. I think it's historically at least the last couple they open them um, towards the end of the summer, mm-hmm. where they kind of close out the summer season and then they don't have a ton of competition. So they tend to have pretty good yeah. legs. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah. So my understanding is this actually was technically like the biggest opening of the franchise. Yeah. I don't think any of them has opened this big, although adjusted for inflation, it might be like the smallest opening of the franchise, hmm. which the, that all that means is this franchise has been very consistent Mm-hmm. And generally opens right around the same mm-hmm. amount um, adjusted for inflation. Yeah, uh, I believe Mission Impossible Two, ironically enough, was the best, the highest grossing Mission Impossible movie. Okay, um, but yeah, I think this one did definitely very solidly. I think it was on the upper end of of projections, and um, since it did open, you know, end of July. And August is not really a month that a ton of big releases are coming out. I think like next this coming weekend it's like Christopher Robin. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, Mission Impossible's kind of kind of got some runway in front of it of yeah. like nobody's really getting in your way now. And I think it's the sort of movie where I would suspect th- that people who saw it opening weekend like you and I, if you know, at work. Right, if you're just talking to somebody and they're like, "Hey, you see any, you know, what'd you do this weekend?" You're like, "Oh, I saw Mission Impossible. Was it good? Yeah, you know, like you would give it sort of a yeah. No, it's um, most people would give it sort of like a yeah, it was good. Yeah, another interesting uh, little tidbit related to box office is this. My understanding, I think I read that this is the first. I think it's actually the first Tom Cruise movie to get an A Cinema Score. Cinema Score is like just an agency that you know does exit polling basically on movies and then yeah. they say like, Oh, this is what audiences think of this movie. And an A generally means it is going to have good order of mouth. People are going to tell their friends, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to, they're going to say like, Oh yeah, you should totally see this movie. Mm-hmm. So this movie has the best cinema score of any yeah. of the, of any of the, um, 
Previous any one. Tom Cruise movie or any? Yeah, well, that's what I think I read. It is surprising to hear that. Had those people seen Magnolia? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Movies like Magnolia <laughs> do not get good cinema scores. Um, it is surprising to me though that this would be the first of the Mission Impossible franchise because I'm like Ghost Protocol wouldn't have gotten an A, you know? Rogue Nation well, wouldn't have gotten an A. Ghost Protocol came out right around the time that he was jumping on couches. Right? Oh, yeah, maybe. I, I feel mean, like he was sort of a little bit toxic at that time. I, I I mean, yeah, sure. But I think... I'm guessing the previous installments got, like, A-minuses. I don't think... Okay. Like, they are crowd-pleaser movies. There's no way... Even if he was jumping on couches, there's yeah. no way it would do have done there's, worse than, like, a B-plus. There's something about uh, Tom Cruise hanging off a plane... Mm-hmm. Or Tom Cruise hanging off a very tall building, that sort of smacks of desperation, right? So I'm think I'm talking I'm referring to the two big stunts in mm-hmm. Rogue Nation and Ghost Protocol, respectively. Uh-huh. And there's something about the like high visibility of him doing those stunts by himself, combined with the. PR around those films like beating the drum that Tom Cruise did those stunts by himself mm-hmm. right that feels just a little bit thirsty you know and are you contrasting that with this movie yeah because for in this movie as an example right the big thing that Tom Cruise does is pilots a helicopter right well there's a couple other things but. sure well he does all the things right he rides a motorcycle Right, he runs a lot. Jumps out of an airplane. Jumps out, oh my gosh, the jumping out of an airplane. So, that's something I learned recently. Do you realize they actually jumped out of an airplane and the cameraman jumped out of the airplane and was filming like while they were falling? That's the only they way. They really did it from an airplane. No, I mean, it's incredible, that <laughs> sequence. I, I, I was listening to some some discussion about this where they were like, it doesn't even make sense because they could have filmed that, like, you know, in a wind tunnel or whatever mm-hmm. and replaced all that. Like, it doesn't seem like the scene is that much better because they actually did it. Yeah. Especially because my understanding is I might be making this up. They obviously had to, to figure out this. a way to CGI the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, I think they did change like the background and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you're changing the background, <laughs> why are you actually? Did they out? change the background? Well, I, well they had to they put a lightning have, they storm. They might have just digitally enhanced stuff. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they had to put clouds and like lightning and stuff. So, so what we're referring to, listener, is just the sequence in the film where uh, Tom Cruise jumps out of a plane with a parachute, and it, the entire sequence is built around him having to rescue his unconscious uh, colleague who mm-hmm. has been struck by lightning? Lightning passed by him and something. knocked him unconscious something. or something? Um, in midair. Yep. Right? And so it is pulse pounding. Right? Mm-hmm. That's a really thrilling sequence. It's really and, good. And yeah. so the idea that so the, okay so that's an example of Tom Cruise went skydiving for our amusement, mm-hmm. right? Um, but there's something... Okay, so we'll get back to that sequence because I just want to talk about it more because I loved it. Um, 
But there's something the about film. the camp, the ad campaigns for the other films that felt a little desperate. Okay. Um, and in, in a way, it's almost like the exact topic that Edge of Tomorrow capitalizes on, which is like, let's watch Tom Cruise die mm-hmm. like over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I feel like this movie just didn't didn't attempt that. Right. These stunts were still insane. Yeah. Right. It was still very impressive, but it just felt like the argument the movie was making for itself was not watch Tom Cruise almost kill himself. Yeah. Right. It was just, it's a good movie. Yeah. I, I could see what you mean um, in particular because the visceral reaction to seeing him hold onto the side of an airplane or see him dangling from a, a, a skyscraper yeah. is, is, oh, wow, Tom Cruise. It seems like Tom Cruise really could have died from doing these things. Right. Um, whereas in this movie, the, the marketing had him in helicopters, mm-hmm. um, jumping across a bill, jumping mm-hmm. over, you know, from one building to another. Fighting in the bathroom. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, those first two, they're definitely big big scenes and they are stunts, but I think it, it feels less, I, I, I think I, I think I agree with you and I hear what you're saying. It feels less kind of exhibitionist, like, yeah, look at how much danger I'm putting myself in. It seems more like, um, an action sequence where it's just an action star doing action star stuff, jumping, running, jumping, flying, like piloting a helicopter, you know, not, not being in an extreme amount of danger. Right. Even though in a, like the helicopter stuff, um, I'm sure he was, he was, he was probably in quite a bit of danger. Um, but, but it's, it's sort of more familiar to like, we've all seen plenty of movies where the hero is flying a plane or a helicopter and we just sort of assume, Oh, there's special effects involved. Right. Um, we, we don't think of it as much as like stunt work, right? Yeah. And it's less of a gimmick. Yeah. Have you heard, you've heard the phrase act like you've been there before, mm-hmm. right? That's sort of how I feel about this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like it is acting like it's been there before because it literally has, mm-hmm. right? Five it, times. It's like, yeah, we know that Tom Cruise is willing to do insane stuff. Fine. We, we've already played that card twice yeah right i don't think we need we can't keep playing it there's probably diminishing returns if we keep playing that so let's just make the most like entertaining movie that we can and if the stunts are perceived to be more insane then great but that's not the way we're going to sell this movie the way we're going to sell this movie is if it's just if it's actually entertaining yep right which it was. It was. Um, okay. Next segment, themes. Mm-hmm. So this is not a movie that I think is, you know, rich with themes necessarily. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty classic blockbuster Hollywood movie. But it definitely has some themes. Um, yeah, I think Alec Baldwin probably gives a pretty good voice to one of the <laughs> themes early in the film. Right. Yep. You you are willing to um, you know, or you aren't willing to sacrifice an individual to accomplish something that's for the greater good. And that's 
you value the life of one as much as you value the lives of many. Right. Right. And I think that is, that is the movie attempting to make a thesis statement about what the sort of big idea that Ethan is going to be grappling with this movie. Ethan Hunt's Achilles heel is that he's, he's, uh, he's got too much compassion for the individual. Right. And it could, it could be his undoing, but of course it isn't. It shall not be. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else? No. That was kind of the main thing. Well, I mean, there was some stuff about, um, like, letting go of his relationship to his now ex-wife. Yeah. Right? I don't know that the, I would say that that's... I mean, it's literally the opening shot of the film. Yeah, right? I guess. I guess. I guess, to me, that was another part of it was... I mean, and this is kind of a classic piece of many hero movies... But his guilt, the sort of feeling of, um, or the question of uh, putting others, having, having, being a hero Mm -hmm. and being so important that you become a target and how that affects the people you love. Yeah, it's sort of the Spider-Man, Mary Jane Watson kind of thing, right? We can never be together because that would mean that you would get hurt, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not willing for that to happen. Um, that's definitely a theme of the movie, uh, which I think is played... If you accept that as a theme of the film, I think it's played pretty perfectly in as much as it is his deepest fear mm-hmm. in the beginning, in the very beginning of the film, mm-hmm. and it's exactly the point of the end game, yep. right? So I think the, that, that I think is pretty incontrovertibly a theme, right? Yeah, so those two things mainly. Um, that and, you know, impossible missions. <laughs> <laughs> What's the theme of Mission Impossible? You know, missions that are extremely really difficult practical. and almost probably never likely to be accomplished. Um, yeah, so the, I mean, you know, I feel like on other movies like on uh, Blade Runner or Three Billboards or something, we, we spend a lot of time talking about like what is the movie trying to say. Yeah. I think this one is just, okay, it kind of touches on these two things. Moving on, it, yeah, it's not I, what we want to talk about. It saying anything is a little perfunctory, and uh, but it does a fine job of doing it. Yeah, I mean, I will say, though, to, to give this movie some credit, while we're on this topic, it does feel like it has a little bit more to say than the previous ones. Did. Yes, I agree with that. It's uh, yeah. The, I think one through five, and I mean, I'm not, I have, I'm not putting a ton of thought into this, so I'm sure someone could correct me. But I'll, don't just worry, just on poke initial. Holes in your okay, but on on just sort of like a quick scan of them in my mental data banks, it's like none of them really has any sort of message they're just kind of uh they're ju- they just are about impossible missions that is the theme of all of them is someone accomplishing something really really hard for entertainment value yeah and this one to sa- and to save the world that's sort of the reason for this, every mission oh right? of course yeah, yeah yeah but this one definitely calls out or sort of highlights the trade-off or the idea of of sacrifice mm-hmm. and, and specifically ethan hunt's 
like inability to make sacrifices when sometimes at least from other people's perspectives that would be the right call like um angela bassett's character in this in this film at one point when talking to alec baldwin he sort of says you know she says oh he you know the he gave up the plutonium or whatever and uh if he if he had if he had gotten the plutonium we wouldn't be in this situation and then alec baldwin says and his you know and his teammate his team would be dead mm-hmm. and then she says yes they would mm-hmm. that's the job mm-hmm. right and so she has a she is taking a very hard line on on you know sacrificing one to mm-hmm. save many mm-hmm. is a logical and and completely correct mm-hmm. you know philosophy and strategy and i think you know many people would sort of at least intellectually agree with that sure and so the, but the movie is about how sort of ethan kind of can't do that right He's sort of like, I can't sacrifice one person to save the many. I have to save the one. And then and then I'll just figure out how to still save the many. Well, I think that's one of the things about the movie that um, where it gets to have its cake and eat it too. And I don't know that that's practical in real life, obviously. But the idea that he says over and over again in this movie. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Right. And the idea is basically someone puts... Uh, generally a impossible question in front of him, Mm -hmm. right? How are you going to achieve the impossible thing? How are you going to be in two places at once? How are you going to overcome something where the odds are tremendously stacked against you? And he always just says, I'll figure it out. Or I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'll figure it out, right? I don't know, but I will, right? And it's this sort of fervent belief in himself right that yeah. makes I think in some ways Tom Cruise like an exceptional actor mm-hmm. right it's like I feel like no one feels less doubt right than Tom Cruise Supreme in confidence. life yeah. right um must be that Scientology. Maybe. Sure. It's working. It's really working out for him. Um, and I feel like just the idea that they would, in a, in the script, write in multiple occasions for somebody, a reasonable person, to say, hey, Ethan Hunt, how are you going to achieve the impossible? And he's like, I don't know. I just am. Yeah. I'm Ethan Hunt. Yeah. Right? Like, there's something about that that's charming that I like. And also sort of like deeply delusional, right? Well, but it works in the Mission Impossible world. So, yeah, I think the reason it works for me is that those lines, I think they, you know, absolutely in sort of a just objective, direct reading of the text sense, they are extremely overconfident. Yeah. But I think the way I read them as a, as a, as a viewer of the movie is... Not so much that he's so confident in himself as much as he just recognizes that he has to. Yes. Right? I, I, the fact that... There's a subtle difference. There is no choice but for me to do this. Yeah. Like, I have to do it. So I guess I'll figure it out. Not like, I'll figure it out. I'm like the best. Right. You know, it's more like, I have to figure it out. So I guess I will. Right. You know? Uh and I like that. And it, it kind of reminds me of even, uh, I don't remember which critic wrote this headline, 
or this uh, excerpt, but the, one of the one of the sort of like brief little film critic excerpts I read on this movie, somebody said something to the effect of how Tom Cruise is like the action star that um, no one else can be, or perhaps just the action star that like no one else is willing to be. Yeah, um, and it was sort of it was sort of like making that same distinction of like. It's, it, it could be that he's the best or it could just be that he's the only one who, who will do this. Right. Um, it's like the prestige. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, you know, his life is the act, right? <laughs> uh, he has to dedicate his entire life yeah. to being Tom Cruise, right? And no one else is willing to do it. But he yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, but... Honestly, I'm grateful, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, this is, I mean, I would be fine if Tom Cruise stopped making any of the other movies he makes and just made Mission Impossible movies. Right, and I would, on the converse... I He'd would probably under, die. I would <laughs> understand if he was like, I'm not making any more Mission Impossible movies. I'm just going to do dramas because my body is broken. Yeah, right? I mean, sure, I would understand, but I... But I feel like he's got to have fun with these. These have got to be what he actually lives for. Right? Right. He Right. Like, when he's making if, if The he's, Mummy... If he's doing, like, the hierarchy of, like, his needs in life, like, the things that give him the most joy in life, it's like, Mission Impossible movies... Yeah. Right? His children... <laughs> right? And then, you know, The Mummy. I think... <laughs> way, I, way down yeah, here. To me, it has to be true that... Now that this movie is released and, you know, he's seeing audience reactions, he's seeing critic reactions and everything, I feel like he's got to just be, like, chomping at the bit. How soon can we do another one? one. How soon can we do another one? Yeah. That's exactly right. Uh, Even though he broke his ankle. Yeah. Whatever. Small price to pay. Okay, so let's move on to the next thing. I think this this one would be good for this movie. Best part of the movie. Because these movies always have... Some pretty sweet All right. parts. So. I'm, I'm in addition to saying what I think the best part is. I would also like to take a little bit of time in this section to talk about what is not the best part. <laughs> well, right? if we do what's the best part and then what's not the best part, we can just cover the whole movie. Well, meaning, there are, there, put it this way, there are set pieces that I think are designed to be impressive mm-hmm. in this film that... I kind of want to state my opinion okay. on you like, be a little you know what, let's not do this type of scene in movies anymore, right? So, okay, best, okay, so from, I think immediately uh, two things come to mind. Okay. So the first is the aforementioned uh, jumping out of a plane sequence. Okay. I was just sweating during yeah. that sequence, right? I mean, obviously, I know that Tom Cruise isn't going to die, but there's a part of me, whenever, and I can't help it, but whenever I watch a movie and I know a, enough about how movies are made, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, there is a camera and it is right. doing something, right? Yeah. I'm sort of like, as that whole sequence is being filmed, I'm like, this is not cutting, right? Right. Like, and I know that there's probably some trickery in there as far as... Maybe, maybe. Yeah. You know, motion blurs and things like that where you can actually cut to something else. 
but just the feeling of we're going to follow him the entire way down. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, it's just, I've never seen that in a movie before. Right. Not I that heard I heard that, sh- that scene took a year for them to do the logistics on it and everything. Yeah. For them to just plan it all out and sure. get all the logistics figured out and actually do it. Yeah. Get permits. Right. <laughs> Who knows? Et cetera. What they yeah. Um, but that was just insane. Now, and the fact, and, and they were really smart, I thought, about adding a ticking clock to that mm-hmm. sequence, right? I mean, obviously, any 5,000 para- feet. Any parachute sequence, there's inherently a ticking feet. clock. It's called the ground. Uh, but the fact that they're like, let's make Walker get knocked unconscious, mm-hmm. right? Um, that was, I thought, it creates a immense sense of urgency, right? Because not only does Ethan Hunt have to save his colleague, who will be his enemy mm-hmm. by the end of the film, mm-hmm. uh, but then he has to save himself. Oh yeah, right. Um, and just this—that that was that felt like pure cinema to me. That felt like, wow, there is no other way in any other medium to get this kind of thrill, right? Which was great. Um, the other best part that I just loved was the um, cross-cutting three lines of action sequence Ending. at the end. Yeah. Right? Helicopter. Just fist fight in a cabin. Mm-hmm. Vin, Ving Rhames having a heart-to-heart with Michelle Monaghan. <laughs> Right. I just loved these three things happening together because it felt like three just qualitatively different things. Right. And in some ways, as an example, like I think Ving Rhames having a heart to heart with Michelle Monaghan, it's easy to sort of laugh about. Right. Because it is so like Ving Rhames is not he's not there for his physical prowess. Right. 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 Um, But there's something about just watching two humans diffuse a bomb that mm-hmm. is still really stressful and tense. And I sort of actually equate it to some of the feelings that you have watching the knocklist sequence, the Langley sequence in the first mission impossible. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. Where the it's like, slightest. he just, all he has to it's do like a game of operation. He has to put a disc into a computer mm-hmm. and get it back out again and get out of there. Yeah. Right. So it's like very dry from like the task that he has to perform. So with bomb diffusing, it's like cut a wire, cut another wire, press a button kind of thing. Right. Um, but just something about that feels very true to sort of like the mission impossible ethos. So there's, okay. So yeah, that whole ending sequence where it's like, okay, out of this, I'm getting sort of the classic, like, you know, the thing that I'm really watching is the sweat. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, in the fist fight in a cabin sequence, I thought it was really well done. Right. Yeah. Has yet another ticking clock. Right. You've got Benji and a noose. Right. Eventually it's at, at a point in that fight. And it's like, oh, she has to both like disarm her opponent and save her colleague. Right. Yeah. Um, just a great sort of uh it was well choreographed and i thought the stakes were just as high as they could be um and then you've got tom cruise flying a helicopter through a ravine yeah right like 
and ramming it into another helicopter. And then those helicopters rolling down a mountain and then them falling down a chasm. And you know what I mean? It's just sort of like, there's nothing, there's nothing bad here. Right. So those two sequences, I thought, and I, and I'm sure those are the most obvious candidates, right. For best scenes in the movie, but they really, I mean, they were stunning. Well, uh, there's, there's another one that I think, for me, it would be a candidate. I'm curious how you felt about the bathroom scene. Um, I like a good fist fight. Yeah. Yeah. But just, just good. It's just not, a good, great. just a good fist fight. I thought it was, I thought it was uh, close to great. Like, I was getting really pumped as mm-hmm. it was escalating. I yeah. think it was kind of short. Yeah. It, and it I, was over faster than I expected. I think, I think there was like really good action. And then, and then the, 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 the enemy, you know, at that time in the mm-hmm. movie, the John Lark, mm-hmm. or the man we Alleged saw John Lark, John yeah. Lark yeah. Um, he sort of, he sort of bested them a little faster than I would have liked. Mm-hmm. And then it was over a little bit sooner. But yeah. I think if that fight were like 50% longer, mm-hmm. that could have easily been one of my favorites that that would have I mean it, it was one of my favorite scenes yeah. but it could have almost been my favorite scene probably aside from the, the ending because I agree with you that the ending is just superb is, is to me that's the best part of the movie yeah but I think if if the fist fight were 50% longer and and they kind of like escalated you yeah know, a, even a little more yeah the brutality yeah then I would have been like oh this is this is great one thing that I really liked about that sequence specifically, I mean, yes, it was a well-choreographed fight scene, and I really liked that part of it, but um, something I really liked about it was how Ethan is not... He's overmatched oh, in yeah. that fight. Oh, yeah. Right? He's clearly overmatched, and they play it up to illustrate, like, he's going to lose this fight. Mm-hmm. If he keeps coming at this guy he's going to lose well yeah I think I was a little disappointed I I I felt like Walker didn't get enough of an opportunity to shine in that scene yeah because he kind of got his ass handed to him too right he had like one sort of brief stretch where he was kind of like delivering some pretty solid punches Mm -hmm. but like to me it was like you know Walker is introduced and then they do the jump from the airplane and then he like gets struck by lightning and he just Mm. seems like incompetent dead weight yeah and it's sort of like they need to like they need to beef up you know they need to like do something to give this character some menace right um and i feel like that i feel like that's what that scene was supposed to be it was supposed to show walker sort of like ethan needing him in that moment but I just felt like he he didn't do that much, and I yeah. think he should. I think it should have been like he really went toe to toe with this guy for like a little while, you yeah. Know? And I, Ethan tried to help, but Ethan was kind of like bested, and but like Walker kept going, yeah. But but then like they could have still ended with like eventually the guy still is even better than Walker, yeah. But then you know, but then Rebecca Ferguson's character yeah. takes him out. Elsa comes in, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yes, I agree. I think there's something sort of related to that that I wanted to call out, which is something that I don't know that we see as much as I would like is the depiction of Tom Cruise as not being as good 
as the villain. Mm-hmm. Right? I feel like that's a really common trope in most movies is like, the villain's the strongest one, mm-hmm. right? And it's going to take, uh, we're going to have to dig really deep and be really smart and really inventive and use a lot of teamwork or whatever else to overcome the villain, right? right. This is most apparent in recently in Infinity War, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like... But also see Darth Vader. <laughs> sure, Darth Vader's a great example, right? Um, I feel like any Tom Cruise movie is not quite willing to concede that point Right? Yeah, generally. And so, but I feel like it would work so well. Like, Tom Cruise is short, mm-hmm. right? Tom Cruise is old, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so Tom Cruise needs to own being smaller, older, less physically talented than his enemy. Because I think it would go, I think it would go a long way. I mean, I think, you know who really learned that lesson? is Jackie Chan, right? I remember watching a thing where Jackie Chan was talking about doing stunts. And one of the things he said, he was like, when you punch a guy, uh, great, punch the guy, but after you do it, you gotta shake your hand like it really hurt, mm-hmm. right? That's what the audience really, that, so it's like the audience wants to see you punch the guy, but they also wanna see you be vulnerable because that's how they and that sort of funny and also makes them sort of root for you, yep. right? I feel like I don't know that I've ever seen Tom Cruise rely like maybe Edge of Tomorrow is the closest thing we've got to this, oh, yeah, yeah. right? But like I'd love it as like he gets older in these Mission Impossible movies for him to just sort of like really steer into not being the most physically gifted person on the screen, yeah. Well, I mean, I think maybe the way we were just talking about the bathroom scene, you do feel like he at least went a little bit in that direction. A little bit. But at the end of the day, he's in a fight with Walker at the end of the movie, and he's like, I'm just going to win. Yeah. You know, like, don't, right? Do fight, figure out a different way that doesn't involve you just, like, killing the other dude because you're better. Yeah. That's true. Actually, like, do, does he normally fight this much in these movies? Mm. This movie, this movie feels like it has a whole. It has quite a few scenes of him doing hand to hand combat, which seems a little unusual. I mean, it's a great point. I don't remember a lot of fist fights from the last two movies. I'm sure they're there, and I've just yeah, they're, they're, them. they're probably there, but but like you, I don't. Nothing really stands out. Whereas to me, so like the bathroom scene in another way is noteworthy because I don't really feel like any of the previous Mission Impossible movies had a really standout hand-to-hand fight right. in them. They always have these big set pieces, but this one it's like, no, small space, very bright lights, yeah, just a, a few men punching yeah. each other. Right. I mean, I'm, tr- I'm comparing it to the original Mission Impossible. That one for sure didn't have a lot of fighting, right? Um, I think that's right. It has, it has the opening sequence, right? The, um, the Mission Gone Bad mm-hmm. in the beginning. It's got the knock list, right? It's got the helicopter. And it's got the helicopter on the train. And it's got a lot of masks. Matt, it's got some masks. Some intrigue. 
I don't think there's that much else in that movie. I'm sure I'm missing an important. I'm just part. saying I don't think there's a lot of fist fights. Right, I agree. Possible. Yeah, I agree. And I'm and but there's, this one has there's like, a lot in Mission Impossible Two. There's a lot oh, okay. of fist fights and gunfights in Mission Impossible Two. But like I said, I hadn't seen that one. Um, but yeah, I think it's funny because in my head, Mission Impossible is at its best not when Ethan is fighting his way out of a situation, but when he is actually doing spy stuff and like being really clever and getting out of a situation sort of undetected, right? Yeah, but I feel like Ethan Hunt is actually not that clever. He's really crazy and willing to do things that shouldn't work. Um, yeah, maybe a better distinction would be Ethan is is uh totally operates without any regard for his well being. The movie is smart. Yeah. Right. Sure. And so, like as an example of this, actually, I think uh, this movie, I think Fallout has a good example of that. Right. Um, the entire motorcycle chase sequence. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh. Tom Cruise is quite obviously riding a motorcycle at high speeds against traffic mm-hmm. in Paris, right? And at the end of it, he runs his motorcycle into a car and flies off the motorcycle, right? And this is an example of, you know, Tom Cruise is reckless, right, with his health, with yeah. his body, right? And I think the movie does something clever. Uh, at this point by saying let's give him a knife and he's actually at the rendezvous point and he's going to run over to the bushes cut a hole in a screen that he needs to jump through right and just disappear mm-hmm. right and it's that the whole reason that the thing that I liked about that entire sequence was just him getting out of there right he's surrounded by cops right and it's like how does he escape this and it's like oh he's at the point where he is going to just jump through a hole and get on a boat and float away, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's the part that I like. The whole motorcycle chase sequence, I sort of got bored by. Oh, like, yeah. I was like, is this going to, you know, you going to get wherever you're going <laughs> soon enough? I was a fan. I was into it. That was something that went at earlier when we were talking about best parts. I was like, can we talk about not best parts? I was like, I don't um, know. That is not a best part. I, I really liked that sequence. I, I I could understand you getting bored because I do think it was surprisingly long. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I really liked it because just the combination of... And for me, it wasn't even so much the stunt work, um, but just like the way it was filmed and the music and everything... To me, is, is everything right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just, I don't know why these lights are flickering, but, you know, whatever. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, yeah, it just, it was just, I guess the the way I would phrase it is just that it was really a pleasure to watch for me. Mm. Um, the, like I said, between the visuals and the soundtrack um, and just like the sort of, yeah, I don't know, like the composition of it, basically. I found to be very pleasing mm-hmm. and I, and I, and I sort of, I don't know, I was kind of like, uh, 
it was like it was like I was like swept swept uh, along with the kind of momentum of the of that scene. Yeah, yeah. I hope most viewers felt that way about it, right? But for some reason, I was one of the maybe small percentage of people in that sequence who was where you were thinking, like looking at your watch, like just like yeah, yada yada yada. Let's get on with it, guys. I get it. Tom Cruise learned to ride a motorcycle. I mean, we've both seen many, many uh, chase sequences in our lives. Right. So. There, it didn't, to me, it didn't add anything. There wasn't anything about that where I was like, ooh, I've never seen that in a chase sequence before. It was like, oh, he's going very fast. And there's cars. Great. So, any other scenes that you want to call out as not your favorite or your favorite no I, I actually really did like I'm really only referring to the part once Tom Cruise gets on a motorcycle mm-hmm. right that entire sequence of um, them getting Lane off of a prisoner truck right yeah I really liked actually Good. it was yeah. very well thought through it, some, it was a classic heist setup right mm-hmm. in as much as I think I know going in what he wants, right? Oh, he wants to get Lane out of that truck, but he doesn't want to kill a bunch of innocent people. Right. He doesn't want to get killed or get any of his people killed. How does he do it, right? (laughs) What's the plan here, right? And a great heist will never tell you what the plan is. You mm-hmm. just have to know what the objectives are mm-hmm. and know what sort of the constraints are. So, for example, some of the constraints are, in that sequence, he has to somehow operate around this uh, cabal of street toughs that he's hanging with, right? Because they won't hesitate to get rid of him, mm-hmm. right? If they detect that he's trying to subvert their mission, right? And so just, uh, and he has to sort of keep up this facade of being John Lark, right? As they're setting it up, he has to operate in a way where he can use and, but not expose a tremendous amount of risk to himself in regard to the Walker character, Henry Cavill's character, right? So I just liked the whole setup. It's like, oh, okay, like we know, we know all the rules of this situation. How do you deal with it, right? Yeah. Um, so I thought the entire opening bit of it was great. I thought the entire bit where he and Ilsa are figuring out what to do with each other, right, was very compelling, right? Because also they're friends. Like you know that they're friends from Rogue Nation. Yeah. Right. It was just once Ethan gets on a motorcycle that I was like, oh, can we wrap this up, guys? So anyway. All right. Good parts. Lots of good parts in this movie. Yeah. Okay. Rich man, poor man. This is a franchise. With all these franchises, it's sort of like, well, the rich man is the better you just co- You just compare them to each other. That's yeah. the natural tendency. So where does this fall for you then? Um, it feels like a top... Three Mission Impossible movie. The other two being what? Number one and number one shall always be number one in my heart. Mm-hmm. It will take a lot for somebody to upset upset number one. Um, and then I have a hard time 
arguing for any other movie above this one. But if yeah. you forced me to watch, I don't think it's two. I'm pretty sure it's not three. I would be hard. Pr- I would if you forced me to watch four, five, and six back to back to back, right? Mm-hmm. And presume I don't get fatigued, right? <laughs> you which, would, but go which on. I, we all. I'm an old man. I can't. Either watch of us, three we movies. both would. Um, I might change my tune. Right? I might say like, sure. oh, now that I've had a chance to revisit, I actually think Ghost Protocol is uh-huh. better, right? But but right now you're thinking right. it's this one. I think Fallout might be the second best one. Mm. High praise. And I mean, to just to kind of like put that in context, like you are a fan of this franchise in general. Oh yeah. Like oh know, yeah, for sure. With the possible exception of two, you think they're all good. Um, I would even go back and watch two again because, in some ways, the goodwill that three, four, five, and six have engendered for uh-huh. me—it's like maybe two was better than I give it credit for. <laughs> well, I've, I like I said, I haven't seen it, but I, my understanding is that it was very different from basically all the other ones. Right. I I remember the climax of that film. I actually won't tell you because you'll watch it one of these days. Oh, yeah. But being like deeply upset at how Ethan gets out of sort of the final situation in that movie. And it sort of really sort of souring the entire movie for me. Yeah. Um, Not that... Actually, I can remember a few things souring that movie for me. Uh, The use of masks was... Over the top, yeah. In that film, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I liked it. And so, as far as rich man's poor man's, I would not compare. I don't think, in some ways, I would compare it to Mission Impossible One. I think they're trying to do just wildly different things. Yeah, right. Um, I would compare it to Rogue Nation and Ghost Protocol, right? And I think it might be a rich man's version of those movies. Well, all right. All right, Rich Man's version of Ghost Protocol or Rogue Nation. Uh, I mean, really, frankly, the Mission Impossible franchise, the last three installments at the least, to me, I would say are Rich Man's versions of quite a lot of action movies. Mm -hmm. Quite a lot of other action movies, including some of the James Bond movies. Um, It's just like, no, these are the good ones. These these ones starring Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt, these... These are the cream of the crop. Yeah, I, I, I think the Skyfall comparison is a really reasonable one. Um, and I think the one thing that that particular movie has on this movie is uh, Javier Bardem. Yeah. Right? yeah. That villain is unbelievable, right? Yeah, I do think they're new. I think this latest villain in the Mission Impossible franchise is good it's good and they kept him alive which is good yeah he's good he's not he's not exceptional but he's good villain which is exceptional for this franchise mm-hmm. because yep. um well i don't know maybe that's not fair i mean ghost protocol basically did not have a good villain three obviously had a good villain. couldn't even tell you about. who the villain was in ghost protocol i remember who it was only because i think i think i saw that at a, at a weird time it was like it was like somewhat recently like in the past few years I think it was the same villain from the same actor who played the villain in John Wick I think 
I'm pretty confident about that. Russian. And so I feel like I'd like already seen him in John Wick. Mm -hmm. And then I saw Ghost Protocol. I was like, oh, it's that guy. But he's, yeah, but he's very forgettable. Yeah. He's, he basically doesn't have a person. I, I feel like this movie very explicitly was attempting to acknowledge some of the things that movies need that prior Mission Impossibles just did not deliver mm-hmm. right it's like we should probably have emotional stakes yeah right like the character should probably have something to lose right well it's crazy to me that in this one the villain cares so much about vengeance against Ethan Hunt yeah it, that was actually kind of surprising to me because uh, I feel like in the last one this villain was you know he was the the head of this syndicate yeah, the and syndicate. and he just seemed so, he like seemed like this like really good, effective, ruthless leader of this international crime organization, mm-hmm. who you wouldn't expect to really have any sort of personal investment in the hero of the movie because right. he just sort of seems above that. Right. But in this movie, I guess having been captured by Ethan Hunt. Right. It's just interesting how it's like, oh, this guy like really wants to get yeah. Ethan Hunt back. Well, I mean, he's petty in that way. And I think it's kind of understandable. Like it's, oh, it's sure. It's move it's the movies and I'm willing to I'm willing to accept the idea that a person who thinks that uh, detonating a nuclear bomb in Kashmir, right, also thinks that getting vengeance against one man is reasonable as a reasonable yeah. thing to do. Yeah, it's understandable. Excuse me, it's understandable. I just, um, I just found it surprising. That's all. Yeah. Uh, how would you fix the movie? I don't know. There's probably 15 minutes in there to cut. But yeah, maybe. Well, I guess you'd make that chase scene shorter. Right? I would. I would exactly. I would. I would make things. I would probably cut some things out. Mm. Um, I would make the bathroom scene longer. You would make the bathroom scene longer. Sure, I, I could get behind that. Um, I would probably take out some of the. Uh, but it, it, this is all nitpicky stuff because none of it really bothered me that much. Sure, I'd probably sure. take out some of the um, dialogue between Walker and Angela Bassett's character. Mm. Right. Um, just felt unnecessary. I mean, I, I, it felt like there was just a little too much sort of explaining how evil their plan was. Yeah. Right. Um, which is useful, but also at the same time, like just slows things down. Probably, probably could do with a, instead of a four minute scene of them talking about how Ethan Hunt is a particular bad guy, mm-hmm. just a silent with score going over it shot of uh, Walker and that character talking to each other. Mm. You don't even have to know what they're saying, <laughs> right? And it's just sort of like, oh, they're getting together and doing something conspiry, right? Sure. That's all we need to know. So that's the only thing I would, I really would say about fixing the movie. And I, to me, I'm really just sort of excited about where this goes for installment seven, right? Yep. It feels like the formula at this point is pretty 
well tested and I think we've learned which things we can boot from the formula. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, we're going to give Benji and Luther and Ethan some funny stuff to do before and after missions, right? Ilsa can join too now, right? She's part of the crew effectively at this point, right? Um, Ethan is going to be increasingly put out on the insane things that Benji asks him to do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We've got Lane as a villain. We've got a worldwide network of assassins and terrorists to fight, right? Uh, It just feels like, yeah, so let's do it. Let's get down to business. Let's go. Um, And so that to me is sort of the thing that really makes me like this movie is how well it sets up the next one. Yeah. Yeah, and there's definitely going to be a next one. Let's be real. Yeah. Uh, I think one other thing I would add about fixing the movie would be, and maybe this is fine the way it is, but to me it seemed like there were a few too many uh, just kind of plot twists, I guess, as Mm -hmm. far as double crosses and characters being not who you think they are. Yeah. I think there was just, I I always liked that stuff, but I just think in this movie, there was just so much of it. I think it's in the DNA of the mission impossible franchise. Just the idea of the old switcheroo double cross. Yeah. But I mean, did you not think that this one had more of that than even average for this Yeah, well, Walker is somebody, and then he's not. And then John Mark is somebody, but then he's not. And then uh, even Lane is someone, but he's wearing a mask, right? Um, I guess to me, there was the most extreme example. It was pretty pretty condensed, um, the most extreme example, and that was just the whole underground scene. Yeah. Starting with, you know... Ethan turning on uh, Alec Baldwin's character mm-hmm. and then Walker turning on Ethan mm-hmm. and then Lane turning on Walker mm-hmm. and then uh, Angela Bassett turning on Walker slash no, Alec Baldwin. Yeah, on Alec Baldwin. And then Walker... Having a surprise contingent of people. Yeah. It was like so many in such a short... Yeah. In, in a row, in, in like three minutes. Yeah. You know? And uh, so to me, I'm just... I, I just sort of felt like... To me, it was almost like, you know, in just the proofreading of the script, you'd think right. you'd be like, this is too many. <laughs> <laughs> in one sort of sh- in one scene basically yeah. yeah no I agree um so I would have probably wanted to look for a way to simplify that somehow um but yeah I think we're both in agreement that by and large the movie doesn't really need fixing it's a solid not much I would change this is this is pretty high up there as far as what you want to see in an action movie yeah so Less, and, less running. I don't need as much running. Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. You know what? That, the Both of those. The chase scene, I think, was, was surprisingly long. Mm-hmm. And same with the running scene, I would say. Yeah. Again, Tom Cruise is very good at running, but he does it literally every movie. And I don't need to see it every time. Yeah. All right. So, um, 
I guess last but not least, do we send this? All right. So, listener, as you might be aware, we are uh, curating uh, our Space Flicks streaming movie service for uh, an astronaut hurtling through space on his way to Neptune or other the far reaches of the galaxy. And so we have to be very sort of mindful about which... Uh, movies this year we choose to send because there's only upload bandwidth for a very limited number of movies and it costs uh, the organization that sends the movies you know lots of money to send data through you know across uh, light years of space right and so um, the question of do we send it do we uh, do we send this to the space program to provide to astronaut Dave mm-hmm. is really the question. And so Dan, what is your verdict? Would you take that bandwidth and send it? Well, I think I think what we need to do is at the end of the year we need to to finalize our list of movies that we. So send. this will be a candidate. So it's a candidate. Uh, I would consider sending it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a good chance this will be one of the best, if not the best, action movies of the year. Mm-hmm. So, based on that alone, it seems worth consideration for sending. Yeah, I don't think if you if you if I needed to decide right now, like put it in the put it in the shoebox that we mm-hmm. launched from a yeah. cannon or don't. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd quite pull the trigger if I had to make a decision right now yeah I'd probably say no just because I wouldn't be quite willing to say yes yeah but as far as kind of putting it aside and coming back at the end of the year to look at it yeah I think so yeah yes to me it is a candidate but it is sort of a fringe candidate right right um because basically I think in my head I have a quota on the number of just pure action movies that I would send Right. right. And uh, I don't know. You know, for example, I think this movie is this year, right, is competing with uh, Infinity War, is competing with, uh, is it Ragnarok this year? That's uh, that was last year. Or is it Black Panther that's Black competing Panther, yeah. with this year? Um you know, and so I don't recall all the things that it's competing with, but it just feels like it's going to be a kind of crowded field. Sure. And I don't know that this will be the best all-around movie to sort of tickle the action funny bone. Okay. Yeah, so maybe not. But we'll see. We'll, we'll set it aside. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll put it in, uh, I don't know, the, the bag, the it's bin. In, yeah, it's in the consideration pile. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's in the keep pile. Okay. Uh, so, sounds good. We got ourselves a candidate. So, Dan, thank you so much for uh, this week, for this week's Space Flicks. <laughs> and uh, I'm Adam, and we'll be back uh, next week with the, with the next film that we are contemplating to send to space. That's right. Great. Thank All you right. to your listener. Bye. <laughs>